so we kicked off a brand new series last week to kind of kick off our semester together called Home. And the point of this series, the kind of overarching series, uh, the main idea of the series is pretty simple. We just wanted to talk about how this place, how the living room, how Woodstock City Church can be home for you and to you. And we kind of said last week, I'm just going to kind of catch you up on where we were going, um, that no matter where you are in life, no matter what stage of life you're in, um, we're always looking for the things that make home feel like home. That no matter where you are in life, no matter what you're doing, uh, whether you're in college or not in college, wherever you are, whatever you do, whether it's me or anyone else that works at this church, we are always looking for the things that make home feel like home. Things like love, things like belonging, authenticity, and family. And we said this in college, right? Um, In college, maybe more than ever, and maybe for the first time ever, you're looking for a place where you can find those things because you're not at home anymore. And for some of you, um, you're, you're gone nine months out of the year. For some of you, you currently live at home, but you're not at home very often, right? We joked around, you're like nomads going from Starbucks to Starbucks, Chick-fil-A to Chick-fil-A, just trying to survive. And so we thought, hey, for the first time ever, um, maybe more than ever, in college, in this season of life, you're looking for a place to find all the things that you got from home, maybe that you didn't get from home, but wish you had, and so you're looking for a home away from home. And our hope, and our prayer, and my hope, and my prayer, is that you would find this place, that that Woodstock City Church, the living room, would become home for you, that um, in your four, five, maybe six years of college, You'd be able to look back and think, A, I made it, <clears throat> and B, man, it was awesome. And a big reason why was because I found a home at the living room at Woodstock City Church. And so tonight what I want to talk about um, is a main component, I believe, of what makes any home feel like home, and it's family. Family. Like, it, when, when you think about a home, probably the, I would, I would argue that the, the thing that makes home feel like home more than anything else is family. It's the people that you lived with. It's the people you grew up with. It's the people that raised you. It's the parents that raised you. It's the parents that adopted you. It's the parents that took you in. It's the aunt uncle that took you in. It's the grandparents that loved you, that fed you. It's the people that sent you to college. It's the, it's the place where you have all of these memories, where you have siblings that you hated and loved all at the same time. It is family, the, the community that made home feel like home. And probably unlike anything else, Family is the main component that makes anything feel like home. That wherever family is, there you can find home. That's why whenever you moved, if you ever moved around when you were younger, home, like you you went into a brand new house and eventually that place became home. Why? Because that's where your family was. So tonight, I just want to talk for a few minutes about family, about community, about belonging and feeling connected to the place called the living room or the church. Um, and I want to show you a picture of my family. This is uh, my family here. Yeah, aren't they awesome? Uh, that's me, as you can see. That's my beautiful wife, Julie. What up, girl? She's not here. Not sure why I said that. Uh, and then that's my dad, Suhail, and my mom, Marie. This is, um, I'm the oldest uh, of four. Yeah, there's four of us, and I'm the oldest. I didn't tell you say that. Uh, this is my youngest sister, Christina, who is in the room. What up? Uh, and then this is Sahar, my other sister. This is my brother, Chris. He is not older than me, even though he looks like it. I've got him by 22 months. Uh, and then this is his wife, Georgiana, and their dog, Albus, uh, which is awesome. 
He's not good at wizardry and stuff. Um, but my brother does love Harry Potter, and he's an, he's an acute, awesome little dog. But this is my family, man. I love, I love my family. I've got a great relationship with my family. My siblings are some of my best friends. I love them, and I love that our family is growing. Um, and as I was thinking of kind of like, hey, one of my favorite things to talk about is family dynamics. I would love to go have dinner at some of your houses just to feel what it's like to sit at your dinner table. Some of you are like, oh God, no, you don't, you know? Um, but family dynamics are so interesting to me because they're all unique and they're all different. They're all based on culture and personality and how many people are in the family and background of the family. When I thought about my family, I gotta be honest, the first thing I thought of is we're loud. Uh, we are very loud and we are the complete opposite of passive. Um, I don't mean this as a joke. I genuinely mean that. I think it's our Middle Eastern culture. There's something about that, that we're just, we're just, we're just loud. Like you might walk into our house and we're having a conversation and it seems like we're yelling. No, we're just talking when really loud you know, my, my Julie, my wife, when we first started dating, she'd come over and she'd be like, what is happening? You know, and I'm like, ah, just have a normal conversation, it's fine, you know, this is what we do, we're loud, and, and, we're, and we're the complete opposite of passive, um, we get in each other's business all the time, if you don't ask for opinion, you're going to get opinion from my dad, from me, from my brother, um, I feel bad for my younger sisters, because they get the brunt of it, everything that they do is under a microscope, okay, me and my brother, we used to, when they first started having parties, back when they were in middle school, um, they would have friends over, and the first time they started inviting boys over, me and my brother would answer the door with our shirts off holding baseball bats. Y'all think I'm playing. I wasn't even jacked, but I was bigger than a sixth grader. And so, um, you know, uh, but we're all up in each other's business. We care about what's going on, and we give advice. You know, it's not passive. If there's a problem, we don't sweep anything under the rug. We don't own brooms at our house. We own gasoline and fire. We blow it up and have a conversation, okay? Um, and so, uh, but that's just part of my family dynamic, and I love it, and it's great. It has its moments. It has its tension, but I love it. Uh, birthdays are a really big deal in my family. Like, my mom loves to celebrate birthdays, and even now, I'll be turning 29 this year. That feels, ah, what? I'm almost 30. That can't, can't be. Uh, I just had a midlife crisis. Uh, so I'm turning 29, and my mom's going to want to have a big family birthday where I blow out the candles. And it is so sweet, but sometimes it's like, Ma, we just got to chill, girl, you know? But she loves it. And if we all don't get together, her feelings get hurt. And she's so sweet, Marie. I'm sorry. But um, we love to celebrate birthdays, and, and, and we love, and I, and I can think back to memories, right? I think back to growing up, right? Like, I remember me and my, he's one of my best friends, but I remember times when um, I was annoyed by him, right? He'd want to hang out with me and my friends, and I'm like, no, get your own friends, you know? Like, I, I wouldn't want my little brother around. I can remember times when it was cool for my mom to come have lunch with me at the elementary school. Do you guys remember this? Yeah, that lasted real quick, uh, but it's crazy to me that there was a moment where I was like, oh, my mom's coming have lunch with us. Uh, but there's all these memories, right? And, and, and you can do this too, right? Like you can look at your family and you, wherever you grew up and whoever you grew up with. And for me, right, I love my family. But isn't it so true? Family is so interesting, me for, interesting to me for this reason, is that it's so amazing to me that you can love people so much at times, dislike them so much. I don't want to use the hate word, you know? It's amazing to me. That, that people can mean so much to you and then in, this, in, in a moment be so annoying to you. That you love them so much and then in a moment all you want to do is throat punch them. You know, like that, that you just, you can't handle it. That maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you had a, you had a fight with somebody or, or maybe you experienced this thing now. You know, parents are being unreasonable. They're not understanding. You've got a younger brother or sister that just won't leave you alone. Or maybe there's some family drama. Maybe there's an aunt or an uncle involved. Um, and there are these moments. Maybe you had, anyone have a moment where they wanted to run away? 
away when they were younger? That you like literally packed up? Yeah, but you were like me. You, well, I'm, I'm glad you didn't. Um, and, but you, you wanted to run away or you just wanted to go to your friend's house. You're like, I just, I just, I'm going to go to Jimmy's. And it's like, in what car, son? You know, it's like, but you just, there are these moments where you just get so angry. But when you grow up, and when you get older and when you mature, and even in those moments, in those moments when it's so annoying, and even now, I mean, no family is perfect. I, I, I've showed you this Instagram picture. Man, my family is so messed up. We all got messed up families. This is the Instagram smile, you know? Oh my God, my life is perfect. Not, you know? Um, we've all got issues. No family is perfect. But as I think about my family and all of our issues and all of our frustrations and any of our fights that come up and will come up, I can't help but think I can't imagine life without them. I cannot imagine life without them. I don't want to imagine life without them. I mean, and for you, no matter what you go through, no matter what you experience with your family, maybe you've, you, you've gotten to a point where, man, a lot, of, a lot of stuff happened. Man, you just can't imagine life without them. I mean, it's your family at the end of the day. It's your support system. It's the place that you can always go back to. It's where you belong. It's where you always are loved. It's where whenever difficulty arises, you know you've got a place to fall back but then I would be willing to, to bet that there might be some of you in the room tonight that when you think about your family, um, that's not where you are. That when you think about your family, um, there's more dysfunction than anything else. Um, that there's more dysfunction and there's more pain when you think about your family than there is fond memories or love. That maybe for you, um, parents weren't around. Maybe your dad was always absent. Maybe your mom never acted like she cared. Maybe you never had a great relationship with your siblings. Maybe for you, when you think about family, your mindset isn't, I can't imagine life without them. Maybe if we're just being totally honest tonight, that when you think about family, you think about trying to imagine what life would be like if you had a family that loved. That you're not imagining, man, I can't imagine life without them. No, for you, you're trying to imagine what life would be like with a family that wasn't completely and totally dysfunctional. You're trying to imagine what life would be like with a family that was present. You're trying to imagine what life would be like with a mom or a dad that actually cared to give you time and the attention that you deserved. And, and here's my point, is wherever you kind of are on that, if if you're at a point where, yeah, man, honestly, I can't imagine life without my family, or if you're at a point where you couldn't just wait to leave you wanted to get away from this function, and you're left dreaming of what family could be. Here's my point, is that every single person in this room has something deep down inside of them that desires family. That whether you have it and you never want it let go, or you don't have it and wish you had, there's something inside of each and every single one of you, including myself, including our staff, that desires to have a family that we belong to, that we connect with, that we can be authentically ourselves with, that we can fall back on, that we know we're going to be accepted, we know we're not going to be judged, and we know that it's a place that we can call home. It's a place that is safe. And as we're talking about finding a home away from home, the reality is, if that's true, if we're looking for a home away from home, if you need a home away from home, if we want this place to be a home away from home for you, then you're also probably looking for a family to call home away from home with. And I don't find it a coincidence that Jesus, when he was on earth, when he, when he talked about the church, 
we said this a lot about Jesus, that he really pushed the envelope when he was here on earth. Um, and he was building a community. He was building a movement that was unlike anything this world had ever seen before. And so I, it's hard for me to find it a coincidence that deep down inside of every single one of us is this desire to belong, to connect to a family, to want to have that love, to want to have that belonging, security, and safety. So it's no coincidence that Jesus, when he was on earth, he made a strong connection between the church and family. That Jesus, Jesus related the ideals and the idea of family to the church. See, for Jesus, when he was on the earth and when he walked the earth, the church wasn't a building. For us, when you think of church, we think Woodstock City, like the, the, the building, the walls, the lights. We think of an actual location, but for Jesus, church wasn't a location. Church was a movement. Church was a people. Church was a community. To Jesus, church was a family. And we see it so beautifully in Matthew chapter 12. While Jesus was still out talking to the crowd, we said this, crowds follow Jesus everywhere. His mother and his brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. So someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Hey, Jesus, they're out there. They've been waiting. You want to come out there? And, and your mom's, mom's getting cray. Can you please come outside and, and, and settle her down? And then Jesus replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And the guy was like, uh, don't, don't understand your question. <laughs> like, they're out, they're outside, bro. I don't, don't get mad at me. She's crazy. Uh, and he says, pointing to his disciples, pointing to the people that were trying to figure out faith, pointing to the people that were doing the best they could to follow God, pointing to the people that had an inkling that maybe there was something bigger than themselves, pointing at his disciples, pointing to the people that were following him, pointing to the people that were learning from him, pointing to the people that maybe didn't fully understand who Jesus was yet, but there was something there that they wanted to figure out. Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That Jesus here, when he has an opportunity to talk about the church, he has an opportunity to talk about this community that he is building directly related to the idea of family. And Jesus saying, hey, listen, the, the distinguishing mark of a family has nothing to do with being blood related. Yeah, cool, my mother and my brother, they're outside, that's great. You want to know who really my, my mother and my brother and my sisters are? It's the people in here who are walking with me. It's the people right here who are trying to figure out faith. That church is not a building. Church was not a building to Jesus, and church is not a building to us. Big C, capital C church is a people. It is a movement, it is a community, it is you, it is me, it is a family. And Jesus, this is so huge, Jesus was not just gathering crowds. Jesus was growing a family. He was not just in the business of gathering crowds. If you missed it last week, we said that Jesus put a premium on relationships over religion. Jesus put a premium um, on people over programs. Religion is all about crowds. Program is all about gathering crowds and getting here. We said it's bigger than all this. That family, family is about relationships and family is about people. And so Jesus, don't miss this, this is huge. Jesus, when he wanted to describe his heartbeat behind what the church should be and could be, it was synonymous with what a family should be and could be. 
that when he wanted to describe what the church should be like, the people that made up the church, that how they should interact with one another, that what they should be to one another, it would be that they would love and support each other like a family should love and support each other. Jesus was creating the biggest family that had ever existed. Jesus was creating a family where people would come from any background, from any um, race, and the one thing that united us had nothing to do with what we came from, but who we were following. A family. So Jesus redefines for us family. And here, he redefines for us church. Church. Like family. Family. Like church. And that's why. That's why here at the living room, um, we put a premium on this idea of family. That's why we put a premium on this idea of home away from home. Because that's what Jesus wanted the church to be. Not a place where we just come and sit in rows, but a place where we can belong, a place where we can connect. And you know this, right? Isn't this so true? Life was never meant to be lived alone. You know this. You know this. The reason why you desire family is because you don't want to live alone, whether you have a great one or not. I mean, think about it. It's the reason why. And this is not a bad thing. I'm just saying it's the reason why. And I did it too when I was in college. You join so many different clubs and organizations when you're in college. You're, you're, you're playing all these intramural sports. You want to be a part of, you know, you, you've got Miracle. You've got all these different organizations to be a part of, different sororities and different prairies. And it is awesome. But you know what that is? Yeah, you might believe and, and really want to be a part of what is happening. But come on, the community that comes out of that is huge, it's massive, and it's the thing deep down that you're actually looking for. Life was not meant to be lived alone. And on a superficial level, it's obvious. I mean, come on, life is just more fun with people. That's why whenever you walk in a room and you don't know anybody, it's, just, it's kind of awkward. Thank God for cell phones, you know? You pretend to text. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now you can just go on Instagram. Back when I had flip phones, you just had to pretend to text. I kid you not, I did that once, and my phone rang. I thought, oh God, you know I'm not texting. Very awkward. Um, but that's why but life is more fun with people. Life is more, more fun connected with people on a superficial level. You don't want to go on a road trip by yourself. You want to go on a road trip, spring break, with your people. Why? Because, man, life is better connected. And then on a less superficial level, on, on a deeper level, man, life is difficult. Life isn't easy. Life throws you curveballs. Life brings tragedies. Following Jesus is not easy. And if I could just be frank, following Jesus in college is not easy. Following Jesus when you're a part of a fraternity sorority might be difficult as well. Following Jesus when you're living with certain roommates might be difficult as well. Following Jesus is difficult in college. Life is difficult. That there are moments in life where more than anything, you just need people to be present. There are moments in life when more than anything, more than you need prayer, more than you need a Bible verse, you need just somebody to sit with you, to hug you, to cry with you. Why? Because life happens. Life is difficult. Life was not meant to be lived alone. And Jesus was saying that a faith journey was not meant to be walked alone. That faith was personal, but it was never meant to be private. That your faith and my faith was meant to be personal, but it was never meant to be private. Why? Because life was never meant to be lived alone. And so Jesus put a premium on family because Jesus knew that real and authentic community was powerful. 
And it's something that we all need. And to show you just how powerful it is, I want to show you a story out of Mark chapter 2. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the New Testament. And it goes a little something like this. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So Jesus is back home. They heard about it. He shuts the place down. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So here's Jesus. He came back home. He's preaching. And so many people want to hear Jesus preach that there's no room in the house that he's in. I mean, they're outside the doors. They're hanging out the windows. I mean, there's just no room. It is packed out. And then he goes on to tell us that some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. So imagine the scene. There's this packed out house. And then there's this entourage of we don't know how many men, maybe eight, maybe ten, and four of those ten people are carrying this paralyzed man on a mat. They're trying to get to Jesus. But since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. Now, let's talk about this for a minute. They're carrying this man on a mat, and they come up to this house that's packed out, and they're like, you know? And some of them are probably like, not worth it. But then somebody had an idea. His name was probably Jimmy. I don't know. Jimmy would have had an idea like this. Jimmy was like, let's go on the roof. And they're like, the what? Let's go on the roof. Let's go on the roof. So they, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they got this guy on a mat up on, you got to climb a ladder up on a roof. They had to have accidentally dropped him at least once. You know, like, Oh, you know, I, I can't, I, I'm imagining it, you know? But they somehow get him up on the roof. And then they're like, cool, now what? And he's like, dig. What? Dig. You know, it's not my house. Dig. Okay, fine, you know? And back then, homes weren't made of, like, shingles. Like, they were flat, and they were mixed of, like, um, like uh, hay and, uh, and hard clay. And so you could actually dig through it. So they're like, we're up here. So they start digging through the roof. And I can only imagine that in that moment, you know, dust is kind of flying. Jesus is down there preaching. All of a sudden, probably everything stops. And Jesus is like, huh. And the people are like, uh, Jesus, are you doing that on accident? You know, like, what's happening? You know, like your powers are going crazy, you know. And so the dust is kind of falling. And they just, and you have to imagine, the first time they, like, dig through it, everything stops. This would have taken them a few minutes, you know. I mean, they're digging. So literally everything stops. They're just digging. They're digging, they're digging, and they're digging. And then they got done digging, opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then they lowered the mat that the man was lying on. Now, again, impressive. Lowered it? They were probably like, one, two, three, four. You know, <laughs> um, that's probably, let's be real, that's probably how they did it. Um, but <clears throat> I told you this fun story was awesome. So, they get him, they lower him, they, they finally break through, and they get him down there. And I can only imagine in the opening, all the friends are like, you know, looking, and they get him in front of Jesus. Now, again, here's the point. They would have heard about Jesus. They would have heard that Jesus performed miracles. They would have heard that Jesus has healed blind men. He's healed paralyzed men. He's cast out demons. Like, they would have heard Jesus can do some crazy things. So maybe he can heal our friend from paralysis. So they get them down there, and everyone's watching. I mean, this is the moment that they've been waiting for. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. 
I would have been like, I'm sorry, what? Thank you, but I can't walk. The friends were like, I took through a roof for what? You know, I'm going to have to pay for this, Jesus. They didn't have home insurance back then. They were probably like, hang on, whoa, whoa, hang on, Jesus, I appreciate it. I don't want to be ungrateful, Jesus, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm sure what you just said was really, really important. But my biggest problem is that I can't walk. And what Jesus was saying to the paralyzed man and what he was saying to all the friends and all the people in the room is, hey, I know that you think your biggest problem is that you can't walk. I totally get that. But I'm telling you, that's not even close to your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is that you have this sin problem that is separating you from your heavenly father, and I want to take it out of the way. I want to fix your sin problem. So I know you think your biggest problem is that you can't walk, but I'm telling you, your biggest problem isn't a physical ailment. It is a spiritual ailment. So Jesus looks at me and says, hey, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the, the guy laying on the mat was probably like a little buzzkill. But then there were some people, Pharisees in the room, that got angry. And this is why. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. He is speaking against God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're like, hang on, Jesus, how dare you tell him your sins are forgiven? To say that sins are forgiven was equating himself with God, which he was. But the Pharisees didn't believe that Jesus was God, so they're really annoyed by this. And so Jesus, immediately it says... Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking. That's scary. They didn't even say it out loud. And Jesus is like, stranger things, I just pulled one on you. Um, he knew what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? So he says, what's easier? What's easier? Y'all don't believe that I have the authority to forgive sins? What's easier? To say to this man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say to him, get up and walk? The answer is that the, the easier thing would just to say, yeah, hey, your sins are forgiven. Because we don't know if it actually happened. So then Jesus says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and walk and go home. So he got up, he took his mat, and he walked out in full view of all of them. And this amazed everyone in the room, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This is so cool. The main point of this story is that Jesus has the authority and the power to forgive us of our sins. That Jesus, here's what he did. He healed the man of his paralysis to prove that he could heal his spiritual problem. He physically healed the man to prove that he really was God, therefore had the authority to forgive this man of his sins. Because the, the, the main point is that you and I, our biggest problems in life, our biggest problem in life is that we have this sin problem. But Jesus, Jesus offers to freely fix that sin problem for you and for me. That Jesus freely offers forgiveness, just like we talked about last week. But this man, this man, and I'm going to get to the, to, to, the, to the big point. But this man, he gets healed, and then he, he gets forgiven, and he gets healed. As a paralyzed man, he would have been an outcast. He would have never been able to work. He wouldn't have been able to go to synagogue. Like he would have been passed over and over and over and over again. His family had probably abandoned him. This man had nothing except a group of men that wanted more for him. That this man got a lease on life. Why? Look at what it says back in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith. 
that this man got in front of Jesus and was forgiven and healed. His life was changed forever. Why? Because he had a group of men. He had a group of guys. He had friends. He had community. He had a family that wanted more for him. He had a family that said, hey, no matter what it takes, we're going to get you to Jesus. One of my favorite things about this story is that there's very few moments in the New Testament where somebody's life was changed directly because of somebody else's faith. But Jesus is saying, hey, he saw their faith. He saw the faith of the men who were willing to do whatever it took to get him in front of Jesus. He saw the faith of the community that went up on the roof. He saw the faith of a community that dug through the roof. And he saw the faith of the community that lowered them. They went through great lengths to get him in front of Jesus. That the source of life change was Jesus. Don't miss this. The vehicle that got him there was community. Jesus was the reason why this guy's life was changed forever. He's the source. He's the one that does it all. But the vehicle that got him there, the means that got him there was community. It was his family. It would have been all this guy had left was this family. And for him, he would have given up for sure. I wish we knew the conversation leading up to this moment. He would have given up on life. He would have just been like, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm down and out. There's nothing left for me. And I don't know what you're going through, but maybe you're feeling something similar. Maybe you're looking at your life. Maybe you're looking at a situation you're dealing with. Maybe you're looking at this faith that is just barely going and you're not even really sure if it is faith. And you're just kind of like, yeah, I'm not really sure. I just kind of want to throw in towel. Well, God wants to surround you with people that want more for you. That God wants to surround you with a community, with a family that wants to push you forward, that wants to see you grow, that wants to see you develop, that wants to see you mature, that wants to see you heal, that wants to see you forgiven. That this man, I feel like we should have named him. It's too late for that. That this paralyzed guy, listen, he experienced Jesus in a way that he would have never been able to experience him alone. And his life changed forever for the better. Let me just ask you a question. Do you have mat-carrying, roof-tearing, terror-tearing, let me try that again, <clears throat> Do you have mat-carrying and roof-tearing community in your life? Do you have mat-carrying, roof-tearing type of community in your life? Do you have mat-carrying, roof-tearing family in your corner? Because life was never meant to be lived alone. Faith was never meant to be journeyed alone. Do you have people in your corner that are there to encourage you? Do you have family in your corner that you can always come to? Do you have family in your corner that is going to love you no matter what? Do you have family in your corner that's going to challenge you, that's going to um, grow you, that's going to ask you questions, that's going to hold you accountable? Do you have family in your corner that are going to help grow your faith? Do you have family in your corner that you can be authentic with, that you can be real with, that you can be free with, that you can be totally yourself with, do you have mat-carrying, roof-tearing family in your life? Because this story shows us the power of the kind of community that points us towards Jesus. 
Even if you don't believe, even if you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, even if you're not sure what you believe about this whole thing, we don't really know what that man felt. For all we know, he couldn't stop his friend from taking him. They could have just decided, get on the mat. We'll put you on the mat, and we're going to take you there, and there's nothing that you can do about it. We don't know. But what we do know is that he got to Jesus, and it changed everything. And the way he got there was community. The thing, the vehicle that changed his life was community. So that's why we place a high value on community here, on family. And that's why we do small groups. That's why we go to great lengths to recruit small group leaders, to lead small groups. That's why we go through great, we have an entire position on our staff solely devoted to organizing small groups. Why? Because we believe that life change happens best within the context of community. That Rose, this is great. This is fun. I hope y'all keep coming back. We're going to keep doing this. This is great. We'll keep feeding you dinner. This is awesome. But life change happens better in circles than it does in rows. Real life happens more in circles than it does in rows. When stuff starts to happen, when ish hits the fan in life, rows, yeah, I'm mic'd up, um, rows are not going to be as helpful as circles. When you're going through a difficulty, when you've got a really crazy breakup, when you're having friend drama, when you're having roommate drama, when you're struggling with school, when you've got a big decision to make, when your real home is so dysfunctional you don't have it to go back to, circles are what's going to get you through it, not rows. Circles are going to point you to Jesus in a way that rows never will. Conversations come out of rows that are impossible to have in circles that are never going to happen in rows. And so that's why here, this home away from home, we want to value community, and we want to value family, and we want you to join a small group. Why? Because we know that's where life change happens best, because we know you want to belong, and it makes a place this big feel way more small. See, because home, home is where we rally around each other. Home is where we fight for each other. Home is where we see somebody who needs something and we rally. Home is where in group, we rally. Home is where in group, in small group, when someone is struggling, we fight for, we fight on behalf of. We make people a priority. We make people feel important. And for all intents and purposes, we pick up the mat and we take them wherever they need to go. Home is where we rally around each other because it is exactly the picture of community that Jesus wanted for us. And it's powerful. And, and, and maybe, if I could just for a moment, that maybe, maybe there's somebody that needs you to carry that mat for them. You start to think that maybe, maybe you joining a group, yeah, it's going to be huge for your faith, but could you imagine what it might be to somebody else's? And home, lastly, is where we are real with each other. And that guy on the mat, I mean, he had nothing to hide. Yeah, this is my last resort. I mean, could you imagine? He might have felt embarrassed, the shame to get carried around on this mat, and then to embarrassingly get dropped in front of all these people. Home is where we are real. Home is where we are transparent. Home is where we are authentic, where the freedom of authenticity rules. And what I love about this idea of community is we've all got stuff we got to work on. Life change is the goal. That's what we want. Life change. We want you to grow. We want you to ask questions. And we want to do that together. We want to grow together. 
We want to try to follow Jesus together. We want to be curious together. We want to ask questions together. Why? Because that's what family does. And the more we do together, I'm telling you, life change is the goal. Life change is the result. And I know for you, you're hearing from like the professional Christian, the pastor, you know, of course, small group, of course, that's the answer. Yeah, duh. So I thought I wanted you to hear from somebody who experienced the power of community um, in a way that I haven't, just to be totally honest with you. Um, And so um, Chandler, who is on our living room team, who a lot of you know, I'm going to go ahead and invite him up. Come on up, Chan. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you can clap for him. Okay. Um, that was a really long walk. Yeah, you, you, you waited way too long to, to yep. walk up here. I should have been up here. Yeah, that. that's okay. Um, I'm about to walk off stage, um, but Chandler has an incredible story, um, and so I just asked him if he'd be willing to share a story. He's going to tell you all about that, and so without further ado, um, Chandler, yeah. the stage is yours, yeah. my friend. That's cool. Hey, front row, I'm going to sit right here, so hopefully that's not awkward for y'all. Um... Well, hey guys, what's up? Samer introduced me, and I see some familiar faces. Uh, My name's Chandler, and I get to work on this team, and it is so cool to be a part of nights like tonight. Obviously, this is going to look a little different. Samer doesn't usually sit on the stage. He usually, you know, stands back here in front of the plasma. I am not doing that. Um, And to be honest, this isn't something that I would say, I wouldn't put this on my resume, forming sentences in front of a room of hundreds of people I don't know. I don't even know if I'm good at it. We'll find out soon. Um, But so I just want to say that at the beginning because I'm not going to be as concise as Samer. I'm not going to be as polished as Samer. And some of the things I say aren't going to make sense and I'm going to stumble over words. But yesterday, if we're being honest, we were sitting up in Samer's office, you know, just a little over 24 hours ago. Um, things with our team are pretty fluid. And so I was just asking Samer kind of what he wanted tonight to look like and what he wanted, you know, students and the people that were going to be here to take away from this. And he began kind of walking me through that. And I just remember thinking, man, that, that's my story. That is why I'm here. And so, spoiler alert, I agreed to do this, which I'm regretting a little bit now because I probably should have used the restroom before I came up here. (laughs) My heart's beating a little faster than I anticipated. But I think if we were all being honest, that we would agree that this community thing coming, I love that Samer introed me, by the way. He said, I'm the professional Christian. And then he was like, here's Chandler. It's just like I'm some scrub. Um, (laughs) But I think if we were being honest that this community thing, we would all agree, is huge and it's important. And no matter if we try to avoid it, like me, I'm an introvert, and for me, community is hard sometimes. And no matter if you're one of those people that tries to avoid it, it's something that's not only unavoidable, but it's something that can spur you on to so much more. And whether you came tonight for the free dinner or whether you're super plugged in or on host team here at the living room, I believe that if we were all honest where we're sitting tonight, regardless of where we fall in those categories, that we would agree that community, my Sports Center app just went off, so that's awesome, that community isn't 
just a big part of life, but it's a vastly important part of life. And for me, I realized that before I even knew what community was, certainly before I could spell it. I was a very slow learner, still am a little bit. But when I was eight years old, I won't tell you all of my story, because it's probably similar to a lot of you sitting in these chairs tonight. But when I was eight years old, my family and I started attending this church. Some of you might have heard of it. It's called North Point Community Church. And shortly after we started attending, my mom went on staff with our kids' ministry department. And shortly after that, my life changed forever. And I had no idea, obviously, that this was coming. But it was the people around I can truly say it was the people around my family and I that are the reason I'm here today, that are the reason that I'm still on board with this Jesus thing, that are the reason that, that I'm part of a church and get to do this every Wednesday night. Shortly after my mom went on staff, I was 11 years old. It was the summer of 2004, and there was this day camp that went on. All of the staff kids went to this day camp. And so I was hanging out at this day camp, and the way it would work is we would get dropped off early in the morning, and we would get picked up around 3.30 in the afternoon. And it was a Friday afternoon. My brother was on this thing called The Walk, which is something our high school ministry does. Him and all of his high school friends were heading back from Panama City from what was surely an unbelievable week. And around 3.30, I realized that my mom hadn't showed up um, to pick me up from camp, and I was super impatient, so I called her, and there was no answer, and I didn't really think much about it, but a few minutes later, I, I called my dad, and I was just thinking maybe, you know, I, I didn't hear my dad was picking me up today, and my dad immediately answered the phone, and all he said was, I'll be there soon, and hung up, and that's all I heard, and a little bit later, my dad showed up at Camp Highland at North Point. He picked me up, didn't say anything. Um, I just got in the car. And we drove to his office, which I thought was, was really, really strange. Um, but what was even more strange was when we got there, there were two police officers waiting at the entrance of his office. And his assistant walked out to, to get me. I'm sure she was filled in at this point. And she walked me to the back of, to the back of my dad's office. And I sat there in the back of my, my dad's office watching these two police officers talk to my dad. And I'll never forget my dad turning around and the look he had on his face. And he walked directly back to me and picked me up. And I was a hefty 11-year-old, so that was a big deal. But he sat down with me and just informed me of what the officers had just told him, which was that that morning after I had been dropped off at Camp Highland, my mom had left to go have breakfast with one of her friends. And on the way there, there was a really bad rainstorm. She lost control of her car, went off the road, and died on impact. And as an 11-year-old, I'm sure you can imagine that death and fear and confusion, you don't, even under, you don't even understand all that. And all of a sudden, that is a reality, and that's part of your everyday life, and that's part of your current circumstances. And so my dad and I, we left his office. I'm full of fear and doubt and just knew that my mom was an unbelievable person that worked at this unbelievable church and just had no idea what to think, what to ask, what to say. 
So we leave my dad's office, head back to North Point. And they had set up this little room for us um, at North Point. And the reason they had is because obviously we were still waiting on my brother to get back from the walk. And we were there for a couple of hours, I would say. And so eventually my brother gets, uh, gets off the bus and walks in. And, and at this point, we're surrounded by people at our church that have come into this room and are obviously sharing this moment with us and loving on us in a super personal way. And my brother walks in, and my dad fills him in on what him and I both know at this point. And I'll never be able to imagine that moment. And it was hard for me as an 11-year-old. But my brother had just had this unbelievable experience on this church retreat. And the storm that he walked into unknowingly when he got off a bus was that his mom was no longer alive. And my dad, my brother, and I, we got up and we left to go home um, to what was undoubtedly going to be a very quiet living room. And all the lights were going to be off. And my family lived in South Carolina at the time, everyone except my brother, my dad, my mom, and I. And so I knew that they hadn't made it to Alpharetta yet. And we opened the garage door, and we opened the, the, the door into our living room, and we opened it to something that was completely unexpected. And that was that the people that meant the most to us, the people who were closest to us, had already gotten into our house somehow, I'm not sure how, and our living room was full of the people that loved us the most, and they had put everything on their life, in their life on hold that night to come over and be with my dad, my brother, and I, and we walked into, we thought we were walking into darkness and confusion, but we walked into abundant love and more hugs than any 11-year-old should ever face. And in the midst of confusion, I know I just said this, in the midst of confusion and fear and doubt, we were surrounded by love and people that wanted to love on us and they wanted to hug us and be around us. And that's what family does. And obviously these people weren't our immediate family, but to us, if they weren't family before this moment, they certainly were after this moment. And I'll never forget that night walking up to my dad's room and just our house was just felt empty, even though it was full of people. And climbing in my dad's bed that night and my brother climbing in my dad's bed and both of us falling asleep before my dad had walked upstairs that night. But what I remember more vividly was as my brother and I were falling asleep, we could still hear the murmurs of conversation happening in our living room. And we knew that the people that were downstairs were still there and still talking to my dad and still hugging him and answering any questions that he had, even if they didn't have the correct answer. And the next morning we woke up and once again expected to walk downstairs into confusion and fear and doubt in a storm that we could never understand and never have anticipated. And we walked downstairs, and those same people were still in our living room. Many of them drinking coffee, many of them eating breakfast, which they had prepared for my brother, my dad, and I as we woke up that morning. And even a few of them were asleep on the couch with blankets laid over them from having stayed over the night before. And I will never understand 
why those people were there for us. And I will never understand the length to which they wanted to love us. But it was extravagant, and it was unconditional, and it was a time that we needed both of those things. And a couple days later, my mom's memorial service was being held in the West Auditorium at North Point Community Church. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's a pretty large room. And once again, this is becoming a theme at this point, but once again, I expected to walk into confusion and doubt and fear. And we walked into a room that was full of the people that had been in our living room that night and the next morning, and hundreds, if not thousands, of other people who I had never met. And it was to the point, and it was a confusing thing, because my mom was my mom. She wasn't anyone else's friend or mentor or anything else. She was just my mom. And that day we walked in, and the, the, I almost said the living room, the West Auditorium was full, and there were people standing against the back walls there to not just celebrate my mom's life, but to love on my dad, my brother, and I. And what I know now more than I could have possibly known then is that my immediate family that day in the summer of 2004, it went from four to three but my family, not blood relatives, grew by numbers that I could never know and people that I could never repay. Even to this day, I hear about people that were there that I've never met. And I know that this whole thing is crazy and that maybe you're not bought into this Jesus thing. But I saw people sacrificially love my family in a way that we didn't deserve in a way that we certainly couldn't have even thought to have asked for. And when we left the West Auditorium that day and we buried my mom, I thought that was it, right? Life somewhat goes back to normal at this point. And what we came to find out the next morning when we woke up was that there was this cooler sitting on our front porch and we didn't know who it was from and we really didn't even know what it was at the time. But what it was was a day's worth of home-cooked meals. And that day, it was like, man, that's awesome. Like, it is cool that people would love us like that. And then the next day, we woke up, and it was another cooler from somebody we didn't know or presumably didn't know with a box. It was a cooler of three home-cooked meals, our breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And the next morning, the same thing. And the next morning, the same thing. And for three and a half months, the people that surrounded us cooked us three meals a day for my brother and my dad and I, in the midst of a season where our whole world had been turned upside down. And to this day, once again, I don't understand love that goes that deep. I don't understand people that just decide to rally around people like that. And I hope that one day I'm there and I'm super flawed and I'm not there now. But... Here's the thing, and I want to go back to this. I know I said this at the beginning. My story is a story about the church family loving my family and I. And for you, it might not, you may have never experienced that. That might not be your story. You may be the farthest thing from that. And once again, this Jesus thing, who knows if you believe in it. But what I do know is that we would all agree that this community thing is important and that for the next couple years, whether it's one year or whether it's five years or longer, however it takes you to graduate college, that the people sitting around you in a circle and the people loving on you extravagantly are what are going to make this college thing maybe just a little bit easier. 
And my heart is that none of you would go through what I went through. But it's inevitable in a room this size that somebody is going to experience heartache and somebody is going to experience heartbreak. Somebody's going to experience depression and valleys and confusion and questions. And it is a, I say this from experience, it is a lot harder to do that by yourself. And I've tried a number of times. But in this, the biggest storm of my life and of my family's life, probably that I'll be able to say that in 40 years, that that was the biggest storm of my life. I know with certainty I can say that now, that the people around us, the people around my family and I are the reason that I'm here today. The people that literally, not figuratively, not figuratively literally put their arms around my brother and my dad and I as we were weeping. It's the reason this Jesus thing even exists for me. It's the reason I'm still here, not in a living sense, but in the sense that I still buy into this thing. And so I don't know where that lands with you tonight, um, but I was struggling to, to figure out where, where to end this. And I did what any hard worker would do. If y'all were here last week, I copied my boss, and I wrote this prayer that I'm going to read for y'all. And so what's getting ready to happen, somebody's going to walk out, and they're going to take the plasma off stage, and the rest of the band is going to come up on stage, and we're going to sing another song in just a moment. But what I want is I want to read this prayer for you guys, wherever you're at tonight. And I don't know if you want to close your eyes. I don't know if you want to bow your head or if you want to look up at the ceiling. But my hope is just that these words would land somewhere with you. And so if you want to do whatever you're going to do, I'm going to read this prayer for you. Dear God, thank you for the living room. Thank you for the Britneys, the Scotts, the Spencers, the Caitlins, and the Sammers of this world who make this happen. The people who put in endless thought, prayer, and work so that this can be a place of refuge and never ask for any recognition. Thank you that their heart is for the college students of Woodstock City and for the college students all around Marietta, Woodstock, in Kennesaw. Thank you that their prayer is this place would be a place that shapes eternity, not because of what they do, but because of what you did. And that this would be a special place, not because of what happens on stage, but because of who fills this room. Jesus, I pray that this place that the living room would be a place of authenticity, vulnerability, and not because of the people that put this on, but because of what you are doing in the hearts of the students that fill this room every Wednesday. I pray that we would leave here, I pray that we wouldn't leave here thinking that this life is going to be easy, but the people beside us can make life a little easier, a little sweeter, and a little more rich. I pray that this would be a place where burdens are lifted by the constant of community. I pray that this would be a place where students can come confident that they will be surrounded by people who want the best for them and actively carry them from less than to more than. I pray that throughout this city, you would provide circles where students can let their guard down knowing that their people have their back. That even in the darkest of times, there will be a group ready to pull them through. Jesus, you are faithful and you are sovereign and you provide calm and steady when we ask. And sometimes that calm and steady 
comes in the form of people. My prayer is that the students that call Kennesaw State or Chat Tech or just this area home would find depth, accountability, and belonging with the people you surround them with. Jesus, you are good even in the seasons when our perspective says otherwise. Amen.